Nehemiah chapter 13. In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of the children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made him even, made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of uh, Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign, and I establish the duties of the priest and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. Um, what an honor uh, to speak to you this evening. And uh, Matt can speak for himself. He's the one who is old. Uh, I'm a young man. And uh, as uh, Fred Kim's uh, old pastor said, prayer keeps you young. Uh, so if you want to stay young and youthful, uh, have a life of prayer. <laughs> All right. Um, what a joy to share uh, with you this evening God's word. And uh, as I was thinking about what to share, uh, it came to me uh, actually during morning prayer with uh, Matt and uh, Fred. And I wanted to give you guys a reflection on beginnings and endings. And an appropriate place to look is the book of Nehemiah because we see beginnings of things and end of things and the new beginning of things, which maps on very nicely to what good news is going through. Uh, it's ending yet beginning. New beginnings and an end. So, again, a reflection on these things. But before I share what I'm about to share, let's bow our heads in prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Gracious Father, uh, it is a privilege to come before your presence, and we are able to, only because of your grace, um, apart from the righteousness of Christ and the obedience of Christ and his death upon the cross, uh, we would not be able to come into your presence uh, but we can, and we can do so freely, we can do so confidently, we can do so to expect the blessing, because Jesus has become our curse, and he has sent his Holy Spirit to grant us illumination to understand your words. So we pray this evening uh, that while we gather before your feet uh, to listen to your words, to reflect upon beginnings and endings, that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit, that we would have your words in our hearts resonating and giving us strength to your glory. And we pray, Lord God, uh, that you would strengthen our hands and strengthen our resolve and strengthen our hearts to live for you to know that things invisible are far more important than what we see with our eyes. And for that reason, help us to continue to labor 
as long as we have breath. And I recall um, a great hymn that we want to be people who praise you until the cold dew lies upon our brow. And after that, because of the resurrection, we will continue to worship you for who you are and all that you've done. So, Lord, bless the preaching and the hearing of your word this evening. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Beginnings and endings, our reflection for this evening. But before I can actually get into the beginnings and endings of the book of Nehemiah, I need to give you a little bit of a background. Once I give you this background, then we'll talk about a couple of, I think, beautiful trends that we see in the book of Nehemiah. And finally, we'll talk about how we can do these things and make some applications. I should say I've been living in the book of Nehemiah for the last couple of months, and uh, I've been loving it. Uh, Nehemiah has given me new strength in my heart, and I've learned new things through the book of Nehemiah. And it is truly a gem of a book. And I think it's a book that's not emphasized enough. It's not a book that is very popular. It's not a book that too many people really read and draw inspiration from. But if you're going through a difficult time, I think one of the best books to look at is Nehemiah because he is a great champion of perseverance. And I pray that we would be great champions of perseverance as well in view of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So. Nehemiah, like I said, is a person who teaches us to persevere. That's the background of the book of Nehemiah. It's a book of persevering. And it's a book of persevering because God put Nehemiah's heart to do something outrageous. He hears one day that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down even though the temple has been built under Zerubbabel and Ezra. And the situation in Jerusalem is not going well. It's not populated. It's not experiencing revival. There are enemies that surround and besiege the city, and therefore the city may fall in the future. As soon as Nehemiah hears this, he fasts and he prays probably for four months. And then God favor, favor rests upon him, and he is and he proves to be a man of action, and he begins to build the walls of Jerusalem after he obtains permission from King Artaxerxes. And as he begins to build, chapter after chapter, opposition, persecution, hardships, and trials mount. First, it's psychological. Those people around uh, want to work with Nehemiah, probably to gain some finances and money because a new city is being built. And with that economy, they want to line their pockets. But because Nehemiah is a pious man and he wants to make this a holy city, he says no. Once these adversaries know that the answer is we're not going to work with you and we're not going to give you a part in the city, they begin to torment him psychologically. They say things like, can you really build these walls? Can you really build down these burning walls and these broken walls? There's no way you can do this. And another person says, you know what, even a fox can jump on this wall and break it down. And the people feel demoralized, but Nehemiah knows something. Strength doesn't come from what you see with your eyes. Strength comes from the Lord, and he prays, Lord, strengthen my hands. And God gives him strength. There are physical threats as well. At one point, Nehemiah says, I and my companions didn't even take our clothes off. And even when we get to drink of water, 
we went to that well with a sword in hand. And Nehemiah makes all these preparations. If there is an attack, I will sound the trumpet, and the soldiers will come, and the workers will come, and we will fight for the city. So the physical threat is one that is real. And again, Nehemiah knows something. Strength doesn't come from what is seen. Strength comes from what is unseen. And therefore he says, Lord, strengthen my hands, and he persists. The persecution, though, and the hardships do not stop there. There are spiritual threats. Now, the opponents of Nehemiah are very clever. They know that Nehemiah is a pious person who believes in God and believes in the word of God and believes in the prophets of God. So in their cunning, what do they do? They hire a false prophet. They hire a false prophet to tell Nehemiah that there is a murder attempt upon his life so that he would hide in the temple. And that would be impious for a non-priest to actually do that. Nehemiah sees right through it. And he doesn't know whether the murder uh, plot is real or not, but he's going to be righteous instead. And he asks the Lord for strength once again. And he persists. And he continues to be a man of righteousness, even though there are spiritual attacks coming his way nonstop. And at one point in the book of Nehemiah, we see that there is internal division and internal hardships as well. Because some of the poorer people, because they're building this wall, they're not able to take care of their farms and their livelihood. And for that reason, they're going into debt more and more. And those who are richer are lending out money. And it becomes so bad at one point that some of the poorer people have to sell their children um, into slavery. And when Nehemiah hears about this, his righteous anger flares and he puts a stop to this because this is unrighteous. This is a holy mission to build, not a mission to make profits. And that moment, this wall building could have halted. But because Nehemiah is one who is righteous, one filled with the wisdom of God, he persists. He never capitulates. He sees the difficulties far more than anyone else, and he decides to give his heart, and he puts in his sweat, and he continues to build to the end. And I think we can learn something, that we ought to be people of perseverance as well. We ought to be stones that are strong by the grace of God. And Nehemiah, therefore, teaches us right from the beginning Beginning is something is hard. Beginnings. And to begin well is hard. But then Nehemiah teaches this lesson as well. To start again is hard as well. Why? Because Nehemiah, after he builds the wall, and he's successful in building the wall, he brings Ezra in, the people have a revival, they make a covenant before God, we will obey, and things are going well, and Nehemiah goes back to the Persian court. And we don't know how long he's there, and I couldn't find um, any scholars that uh, even hazarded a guess. Uh, but he goes back to the Persian court, thinking that all is well, and he comes back to Jerusalem. And that's the passage that we're reading. He comes back to Jerusalem, and what does he see? He sees that they've forgotten about the covenant of God. They forgot their alliance to God, and therefore people are not just intermarrying. They're intermarrying to such an extent that their children no longer are able to speak Hebrew. And for that reason, they're not able to understand the word of God. And therefore, what is at stake at the root is something religious. 
It's something spiritual. And Nehemiah is like, I can't believe what is happening. The reforms took place. The walls are up. And yet these people have forgotten about God. If you read the broader context, they're also selling and buying on the Sabbath so that they would make profits for themselves and making arrangements with the people around them all for the sake of profit. And therefore, they go against what they promised. And not only that, the priesthood here um, has been corrupt. The high priest's son-in-law is one of the chief enemies of the Jews. And not only that, he has given a part of the temple to this chief enemy so that he can use it probably for his own gain in terms of finances. And when Nehemiah sees all of these things, what does he do? Well, he's not deterred. And he says, you know what? I'm going to give my heart all over again. I'm going to build again. He doesn't say it in that word, but we can see from how he acts, he's willing to do it again. Hence the title of today's message, Again. Nehemiah is willing to build again. Nehemiah is willing to labor again. Nehemiah is willing to sacrifice at his own expense again. He's willing to give years of his life again. And therefore, to me, from that perspective, chapter 13 is the most encouraging chapter for me in all of the book of Nehemiah. Things are certainly not well, but I see the beautiful heart of a man who is hard as granite. And he says, no matter what happens, I am going to serve the Lord with all of my heart. And I am willing to do it again. The reason why I'm giving this message is because, as you said, Good News has been here for 10 years. And I believe in some ways Good News has gone through a refining process and I think we can say that fairly confidently because that's what God does. That's the pattern of God. Uh, God says this very clearly in the book of Malachi that he is a consuming fire. And Peter takes up that theology in First Peter and he says judgment begins in the household of God. And what he means by that is God's fire comes into the household of God and he begins to refine. And that refining process is never pleasant. That refining process is never easy, yet at the same time, it makes us purer. At the same time, it makes us into the very men and women God wants us to be. Nehemiah went through a refining process in the book of Nehemiah. The people of Israel went through a refining process in the book of Nehemiah. And because at this point, Nehemiah is so refined, he is able to say, Lord, I will do it again. I think that's appropriate for Good News Church because you move next week. And what are you going to do? You're going to serve the Lord again. What are you going to do? You're going to love again. You're going to build again. You're going to labor again. And you're going to love each other again and love the community again. You're going to worship again. And we can because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nehemiah is able to do this in chapter 13. And I love it because Nehemiah probably 
at this age is an old man. And in his old age, he's not thinking about retirement. He's thinking about, I'm going to put my back into it. I'm going to put my heart into it. I'm going to put my shoulder down, and I am going to labor for these people, but most of all, for the glory of God. That's the context of this passage and the title um, of this message. But as you reflect upon the book of Nehemiah, it gets even more um, exciting, I think, because we see a trend in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, this trend, to me, is very apparent, not only in the book of Nehemiah, but towards uh, the end of the Old Testament. It becomes very starkly clear uh, to me, and, and hopefully to you as well. And we have to ask a, a simple question, who is Nehemiah? And uh, many of you know who Nehemiah is. He is a cupbearer of the king. He's a civil servant. Uh, so he's the one who tastes the food and recommends foods to the king of Persia. Which means Nehemiah is not a priest. He's not a cleric of any sort. He's not one who's been schooled in the uh, schools of theology. Um, he is a civil servant who has a heart for God a civil servant who loves God, who is living in exile, but has great faith um, in his God. And I think that's insightful, just that point. Because as we follow the strand of the Old Testament, we see that towards the end of the Old Testament, God is not just using clergy. The book of Nehemiah is a perfect example. What he's using is all people. He's using all sorts of people. And therefore, when Nehemiah begins to build, what's Nehemiah doing? A civil servant is building. And who's next to Nehemiah? Well, if you look at the book of Nehemiah, a perfumer. He's there too. And what's he doing? He's building just like Nehemiah. And who's next to that perfumer? A farmer. And what's he doing? He's building just like Nehemiah. And next to that person, who's there? A metalsmith, a person who works in metals. And what's he doing? He's building as well. There are certain building, people building two portions. And it's not the clergy. It's everyone. You see, when you look at the trend of the Old Testament, at first it seems as though there are certain people that have the weight of all of the nation upon their shoulders. Someone like Moses. And Moses really does have the weight of the Israelites on his shoulders, and he becomes the chief interceder. He becomes their priest. He becomes their lawgiver. Yet as time progresses, God is doing something else. And what he's doing, he's pouring out his spirit upon all people. So by the time of the book of Nehemiah, Israel's greatest king, perhaps, is a layperson. And the people who are doing significant work before the eyes of God, they are perfumers, metal workers, and farmers. How does the Old Testament end? Who are the heroes? People like Esther, people like Mordecai. They are not clergy. They are the average people, and God is using them to do something great. And here's a new insight that I've um, um, obtained through reading. And that's Ezra. And Ezra, I thought my whole life that he was just a priest. Yet most likely Ezra was bivocational. He was a priest, but he was also probably a civil servant in Persia. So even if you look at Ezra's work in this context, 
we see that God is raising up bivocational people. He's raising up all sorts of people to do the work of God. But you know what? This is God's heart all along. Uh, one of the passages that I've been really thinking about and meditating on is Numbers chapter 11. And Numbers chapter 11 is an amazing passage because it gives us a little window into the heart of God and also a little window into Moses' heart and, for that matter, Joshua's heart. Two people are named, and I'll be very surprised if you know these names, Eldad and Medad. I'm not even making this up. It kind of rhymes. But Eldad and Medad are found in Numbers chapter 11. And who are these guys? Well, they're a couple of elders. Um, God says to Moses in this passage, I want you to get 70 elders, and some of the power of the spirit that you have, Moses, I will give to these 70 elders. So Moses gathered these 70 elders, but only 68 of them are there. And God takes the spirit and the power that Moses has, and he begins to dispense it upon the 70. But two of them are not there. Guess who are not there? Eldad and Medad. Uh, I don't know what they were doing. Numbers does not say. But at the same time, they begin to prophesy to show that they too have been given the Spirit of God. And when Eldad and Medad begin to prophesy, we see Joshua's heart. Joshua says to Moses, let them stop prophesying. And Moses looks at Joshua are you jealous for me? I wish that all God's people were prophets. A little window into Moses' heart. I wish all God's people had the Spirit. And as we follow the Old Testament towards the end, things are not going well, yet at the same time we see God's heart, and all people will have God's Spirit. The prophets begin to say this and prophesy into the future that one day God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh, Joel 2.20. And therefore, when we come to the page of the New Testament, it actually does happen. Joel 2.20 is fulfilled at Pentecost where God pours out his spirit upon all people. And therefore, people from around the world are out there at Pentecost and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you think about who the apostles were, none of them were clergy. None of the apostles were religious professionals. They were not landed aristocrats. Who were they? Most likely, most of them were fishermen. They were manual laborers, one tax collector, and three people we have no clue about their occupation. And yet God's Spirit is upon them, and they're able to labor for the kingdom of God. And therefore, there's a democratization of power. There's a democratization of the Holy Spirit. There's a democratization of laboring for the Lord. We can all do it. We can all be Nehemiahs. We can all be Ezra's. We can be people whom God uses to make change in the world around us. It makes sense towards the end of the Old Testament because the clergy at that point have fallen. And we know that they've fallen. All you need to do is to read the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. And at one point, God says, I am going to put the, the feces of the sacrifice and smear them on the faces of the priests because that's how far they have fallen. Yet God in his spirit is going to 
refine people and to create a new group of people, these purified eschatological Levites and priests. And guess what? You and I are these people. Now, I think it gets even better than that when we draw back from Nehemiah's context and come back into good news context. Because you know what? We do have the Spirit of God. Joel 2.20 is, is a reality. Acts has taken place. Tongues of fire are over the people's heads, signifying that they are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. But when you look at a church like Good News Church, you have some of the best elders. You have an amazing pastoral staff. So not only does the Spirit work in your hearts, but you also have refined clergy. And when you put that together... It spells for power. It spells for huge blessing in the world around us. And therefore, if we become people who persevere to the end, good news will be a blessing. An enormous blessing wherever it goes. Not because of you, but because of what Christ Jesus, the Lord, has done. And sometimes we lose sight of that. And I'm sure people in Nehemiah's day lost sight of that because then they're building this wall and before that, building this temple. And you look at it from a comparative historical point of view, a lot of exciting things are happening. All the major world religions are beginning at that time. Incredible things are happening in Greece. Incredible things are happening in Rome. Incredible things are happening in Persia. And yet, where is the locus of the blessing of God in this small little city? through people like Nehemiah. And we need to have spiritual eyes to be able to discern that. And therefore, my one preliminary application is this. All of you here, believe it or not, have the Spirit of God. And every person here has been called to be a bigger blessing than you could ever imagine. And the power that is available to you is far greater than you can ever dream. And the truth of the matter is this. It is a reality already because of what God has done. God has made you builders. God has made you people to stand in the gap. And God has given grace for you to persevere and overcome. Why? Because you have the Spirit of God, and you, to use the language of the New Testament, are in Christ. Now, how can we do this? How can we do this? And I think, again, Nehemiah gives us uh, the clue. Every chapter, it was difficult for Nehemiah. Um, every every chapter, a new challenge. Uh Imagine an interview with Nehemiah. Nehemiah, how did you overcome all that psychological terror? Well, let's rephrase the question. How did you overcome all that psychological terror? How did you overcome the murder attempts? How did you overcome the political ploys to bring you down? How did you overcome the divisions within your own people? And how did you overcome the spiritual assaults that false prophets gave you? How were you able to do that? And I think Nehemiah would give us this brilliant, brilliant answer. Before I give that answer, I think we can up the ante just a little more. How are you able to serve the people and love them after you come back 
after this period of time and things are reset to the beginning? How are you able to do it all over again? And I think Nehemiah will give us a brilliant answer. And I think his answer would be this. To be honest, I've never did it for the people to begin with. I've always done it for God. And you see, that's a perfect answer. Why? Because God never fails. And this is how the book of Nehemiah ends. Remember me, oh my God, for good. Those are the last words of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah never did it for his people. He loved his people, but ultimately speaking, he only did it for God. And therefore, Nehemiah's motivation there is really pure. Not only that, he says it three times in this chapter. Remember me, O God. It's for you. And that's the secret of longevity. That is the secret of perseverance. You know, think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, The Apostle Paul says at the end of his life, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. And I finished my race. I fought the good fight. Now in store for me is this crown of righteousness. What's he really saying? I mean, I think what Paul is really saying is, Lord, I'm about to die. Timothy, I'm about to die. And I commit myself to you, O Lord, because all of this time, it was for you. I mean, Jesus is the same thing. Glorify me with the glory I had with you before the foundations of the earth in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. He had an audience of one. And you talk to any leader who's made it to the end, I think they will give you the same answer. Yes, I I did it for people to a certain extent, and I'm not discounting that. They ought to be love for people. And that should be a motivation. But the ultimate motivation is for God. Because when you begin to serve people, you will realize sometimes they will not thank you. They will not acknowledge you. You will get no recognition. You will get no praise. And at that point, your motivations will be put under a microscope and there will be a litmus test. Whether you ultimately have done it for the glory of God and had an audience of one or did you do it to obtain praise or anything else. And if you're going to be able to persevere to the end in the most trying and difficult times, it has to be for the Lord. You know, I wanted to give this message because I think Good News Congregation can be a congregation in view of the refining that God has done so that there would be a large group of number that say, I'm doing it ultimately for God. I'm doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what really matters. Because when we all die, and we will, uh, we come before the judgment seat of Christ and what matters is what we've done for him. And we will be able to hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. But I think if we look at the book of Nehemiah from another perspective, it gets even better than that. I think typologically speaking, um, Nehemiah wasn't intending this. But I think we can say this of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a a civil servant. He was a cupbearer who was appointed to be governor of Jerusalem. Under his leadership, they built the walls 
And after they built the walls, uh, he stepped aside and was an architect of revival through Ezra. And you know what? In view of that, I think Nehemiah was Israel's greatest king without actually becoming king. He didn't have the title of king, but what he did was what kings do. He was Israel's greatest king. But he didn't get the acknowledgement of it, but I think he fulfilled that role. And more importantly, typologically speaking, he pointed forward to the greatest king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Nehemiah was one who left the comforts of being cupbearer to the king and embraced poverty and hardships and sacrifice for his people to purify them, to direct them to God. And that's what the Lord Jesus has done. And therefore, if anyone in the Old Testament really points forward to Christ in a humble, nice way, amazing way, it's someone like Nehemiah. But not only that, if we look at the book from another perspective, it's even more encouraging than that. Because Nehemiah may not have understood this, but the outcome of his work far exceeded, I believe, what he thought. Because right, right from the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, they began to build uh, the gates of the city, the walls of the city. And they began to do something to these walls and to these gates. The priests began to consecrate them. And this perplexes some scholars, and they say, well, this can't be true. No one really consecrates walls and gates. You consecrate the, the temple. And some scholars want to change the Hebrew wording because it just doesn't make any sense. But if we understand what Nehemiah and company were trying to do, they were saying, you know what? We're going to make this not just a holy temple. We're going to make this into a holy city. And therefore, at the end, what does Nehemiah achieve? I think what he achieves is a holy city. Is it a perfect holy city? Absolutely not. But I think he achieves, typologically, a holy city, which really points forward to the New Jerusalem. Because, you know, in the New Jerusalem, the whole city becomes a holy city. And I believe, in the bottom of my heart, that God honored Nehemiah because of his perseverance and because of his faith and allowed him to be an architect of one of the first holy cities. Now, I bring that up because I think God has a mysterious way of working. I think God has an incredible way of working, and he will always honor those who honor him. And God will always bless those who have a heart to live for him. And you know what? As we persevere, and as we seek to bless people and bless the community around us, maybe in our life, Maybe not, but certainly in our death, we will see how the Lord has used us. We will see how the Lord has used us to bless New York City. We will see how the Lord has used us to bless the world around us. And sometimes it's better not to know, lest we become proud. But what we're called to do is to persevere. And what we're called to do is to continue to serve, to love, to worship, to 
wash feet, to promote others, honor others more than you would honor yourself, uh, give the seed of honor to others. And as we do that, I can guarantee there will be great, great blessing. I think good news has been a huge blessing. And I don't think we will be able to see the blessing it has given to others. But you know what? The Lord knows. And that's all that matters. So as you go to a new location at a new time, do it again. Persevere. I almost called this sermon, Is That All You Got? And um, then I thought it was a, a little too bold. Um, because there was a lot of opposition. You know, and if Nehemiah wanted to say, I think he could have said something like, Is that all you got? Because he knows his God. And he will persevere. You know your God who has been revealed to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you have faith in him, uh, you will persevere over any obstacle, over any difficulty. Uh, So I feel as though, um, at least personally speaking, for me, maybe maybe for you guys, maybe you could um, relate to this, I think 2017 is going to be a tough year. Um, but if we know that the Christian life is not one that is difficult, that one that is easy, then we're ready for it. And we, I think, as we hold on to Scripture um, and rely upon the grace of God, we can overcome in an overwhelming way. And uh, the simple message that I want to give to Good News Church. Um, this evening is to redirect your eyes upon what you know, and that's Christ, his goodness, and his grace. Beginning something well is hard. Ending something well is hard. Beginning something new is hard. But there is always grace. And with that grace, we can truly, truly overcome. And I know this is very subjective, but I believe Good News is one of those churches that can really bring about a huge blessing in New York and in this world because it is a humble congregation. And as you continue in that humility and in that brokenness, I believe that the Lord will do something really, really amazing. So as you go, you you go with God. And as you go, have a heart to do it again. And in the next 10 years, well, do it again. And when you're 60, well, you do it again. And when you're 70 and 80, you do it again. And you can, because the Lord is always there. Let's be reminded then, uh, what Nehemiah says, remember me, oh my God, for good. The Lord will remember. He never forgets. Now, this is what I want to do to close. If this message 
uh, has resonated in your heart. And you, I'm going to give you time to respond just for a moment. It doesn't have to be very long. If you want to be like this Nehemiah person, right, to really stand in the gap, to build the wall, uh, to be a person of great perseverance, you know, why don't I give you like 30 seconds to respond to God? And I want to pray for you that you will have that strength and uh, be able to do it again wherever you are. So let's bow our heads in prayer. And um, why don't you just spend a couple of moments reflecting and thinking about this message. And, uh, you know, Peter can play the guitar and stuff like that. And then I want to pray for you guys um, that is that have made a commitment to the Lord uh, to be strong in the Lord. So um, if the Lord moves your heart, I you know make that commitment to God um, and say, Lord, I, I want to be strong with your strength. Uh, I want uh, my hands to be strong for you. And I want to labor again for you. And if you're feeling weak, you can confess that to the Lord and ask for his strength. So let's spend a couple of moments uh, responding.